Take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 17. Thank you guys for leading us in worship this morning. They not only had to practice, they had to get things set up in here. And so they've had a, a busy morning already and we're always grateful for them and the work that they do to lead us. My plan is to read all the way down through verse 16, but I'm going to do that in two stages. So just as we begin here, I'm going to read the first seven verses of Exodus 17, which will cover the first point of the sermon, and then uh, we'll pick up at verse 8, uh, Lord willing, a little, bit, a little bit later. This is God's word for us this morning, and uh, here's what God says. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord, not, uh, among, is the, is the Lord among us or not? You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. For there is no word like your word. And Father, even now as we've looked at this word, Father, just help us to now look more closely at it. Teach us, but not just teach us. Transform us by what we see about you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've, we've left the Red Sea and we're en route to Mount Sinai. And this is then, therefore, these, this section is what we would call a travel narrative. The Lord is journeying with his people, and, and, yet, and yet this is no mere travel log. As the Lord is leading and guiding his people, uh, he is teaching them another facet uh, to what he is trying to instruct um, throughout the whole book of Exodus. The, an overarching uh, note found throughout is that the people of Israel just like he wanted the people of Egypt, just like he wants the people of 
all the world to know that the Lord is God. And, and now in this segment, um, this, this travel journey from Red Sea to Mount Sinai, um, uh, the, this, is, this is an opportunity for the, the people to know a further dimension of the implication of uh, what does it mean to know that the Lord is God? What it means to know that the Lord is God is that the Lord can be trusted to give good care to his people. He can uh, provide for his people. He can protect his people. So that as they grow in an understanding that the Lord is God, they will be able to just know and associate the Lord being God with the Lord is is the one who provides for us on our journey. And the Lord is the one who protects us in our journey. I didn't, didn't uh, overly plan it this way, but this is an appropriate text of Scripture to begin a new year. Our first Lord's Day together. Uh, welcome to 2022. Uh, and um, on the one hand, we're, we're off to a dazzling start. It's 18 degrees outside and the... The heat is not working in church. And, and yet, uh, and I wish that would be the worst of our problems, but it's not. But, uh, but nevertheless, this is an opportunity for us to gather, to seek God and His Word, and to know that the Lord is God. And to know that as we begin a new year with the Lord, who is from everlasting to everlasting, that He is the God who will provide for us this year. He is the God who will protect us this year. So let's look at those one at a time. The first seven verses are really about the Lord's provision uh, for us on our journey. And as we read this, I mean, if you were, if you were here with us last Sunday, of course, that was a year ago, I guess you'd say. But if you were here with us last Sunday, um, you'd be like, Wait, didn't we cover this last week? Uh, well, in, in a roundabout way, I mean, so as they're traveling, um, uh, we're, we're, we're back to uh, an issue that we talked about last week, a lack of water. Last week, they, after God delivered them from the Red Sea and destroyed Pharaoh and the Egyptian army, they, they, they didn't have ample uh, supply of fresh drinking water, nor did they have an ample supply of adequate food. And the, and the people grumbled against the Lord and against Moses. And, 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 that, and that grumbling was, was taken in a sense of, of an accusation against God. He doesn't do a good job of providing for his people. I mean, why did he bring us out here into the desert to, to die of thirst and to die of hunger? I mean, uh, it would have been better just to stay in Egypt. And so they, they were accusing the Lord. Now, this, this morning, we're, we're back to lack of water. And yet, this is a different episode um, they had learned last year, if you would, they had learned last week, they had learned the day before that the Lord provides. And now, now as they've journeyed a bit further, they, they're, they're back to um, floundering on whether or not the Lord, who is God, will provide. And, and the language of grumbling is still here in our text. It, it says there... Uh, 
uh, you know, that, that, that the people um, uh, grumbled against the Lord, verse 3, but the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And yet, if, what you've noticed, though, is, is there, there's a couple of new dimensions to this, this grumbling. This grumbling has turned to quarreling. That wasn't noted in last week's reading, but it's now explicitly stated here in this week's reading in the second half of verse, well, in verse 2. Therefore, the, uh, the people quarreled with Moses. Give us water to drink! And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Notice what he also says. Why do you test the Lord? I thought that was, this is another interesting observation because last week, the Lord, in the context of there being a shortage of water and food, the Lord, in a sense, designed that circumstance to test them, to see whether or not they would trust him and obey him and listen to him and follow him in all circumstances, even hard circumstances, uh, uh, circumstances where there was a lack. And now this week, it's the same word for test, if you would, and yet it's flipped on its head. It's coming from the opposite direction. It's not that the Lord was using the circumstances as he did in last week's passage to test the people of Israel to see whether or not they would listen to him, but it's now the people putting the Lord to test. And so the test is... is, is well, it's, it's demanding, not, not requesting. Lord, could you please give us some water? That, that's not how it's expressed there. This is, a, this is a big old gimme. Gimme right now. Give me some water! And it's that demand that the Lord do what they say that is classified as them testing the Lord. Not, not everything uh, cuts both ways with the Lord. Does the Lord have a, a right or a prerogative to test his people? He's God. Does the Lord's people have a right, a prerogative to test him? Well, at least in terms of, of, of test it defined by demanding that the Lord do what you say when you say it, that's off the table. That's never permitted in God's Word. We do not have the right or the privilege uh, or, or the prerogative to speak to our God that way, to demand of our God that way. And that could be a hard word. And on the one hand, if you don't have water, you're in trouble. I, you, I want to empathize with them in that sense. I mean, just, 
Uh, this is a lack of water. This is a serious circumstance. This is a troublesome situation. And as we noted last week, when you and I, when we live in a fallen world and when we face difficult circumstances and situations, it is perfectly permissible. The scripture paints a, a sign of approval over how when our hearts groan and ache over the difficulties of living in a fallen world. But there is a huge difference that we noted last week between groaning over the difficult circumstances and grumbling, which is accusing God of not doing a very good job of being God, and now kick that up a notch where they not only were grumbling against God, but they were quarreling with God. In other words, they were, they were fighting mad. Or the image that I think uh, would, would paint the picture, they were protesting. We see the images in, in, in our world today over the last several years of very, it's nothing new on the one hand, but, but we're just, we're, we were in that season of severe protest. The anger, the, the, the sense of, of propriety, of it's, it's appropriate to burn something down. We're so mad. It, but yet, these Israelites were not protesting uh, uh, poor decisions of government leaders. They, certainly, they, Moses was getting the brunt of the protest. And, 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 and yet, ultimately, who and what they were protesting was God himself. And in so doing, they were demanding that God give them water right now. And in so doing, that's the definition in this context of putting the Lord God to test. Now, underneath all of that, I mean, how, how do you get there? How, how do you and I get from being people who like to present ourselves as nice and fair and decent and Jesus-loving people to, to people that you give us the right context, the right circumstance, and uh, we will go to from groaning to grumbling to quarreling to protesting God. Now, don't look at me that way and say, oh, I would, I would never have a 2022 like that. Well, underneath their quarreling and grumbling and protesting is, is, is really a, a profound sense of unbelief. Look at... Look at what's stated at the very end of verse 7, which I think is underneath all of their grumbling and quarreling and protesting. Because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Is God even with us? And he took us as far as the Red Sea. Sure, I know that. I mean, we saw what he did. But, but uh, oh, 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 yeah, and, and he was with us last chapter as well because he, he gave us some water and he, he, he gave us some food. But, but we're thirsty today. Is he even with us today? See, they were, and you and I will fall into the same trap here. They were equating the presence of the Lord with pleasant circumstances. How do I know the Lord is with me? It, the sun is shining and all is fair in my world. 
Well, what do you do when you wake up and the sun isn't shining and all isn't fair in your world? Where is, do you have a category of where is God on that day? That, that's, that's where they were at. Do, do you realize how, how, how quick and fast we can go from here to there? We, they, they, God provided for them in the past two chapters, uh, really up to this point as well. But, but now this is a new day, a new year, a new chapter, and, and, and now it calls for a new vigilance of how do we see the Lord? Do we see him only in the good, pleasant circumstances, or is his presence with us? The other facet is... Um, uh, related to this is, um, I, I think they're learning in this travel narrative um, that uh, he is not a, a local geographical deity. He's not just the God who shows up big time back in Egypt and rescues us. He's not just a God who happens to be hanging out by the Red Sea and delivers us. But he is the God no matter where we go, he is there with us. Where can you go that the Lord is not with you? Isn't that an encouragement? And yet, to the degree that you and I have that confidence, that, that, that assurance that this is our God. He is with us today. He's with us tomorrow. He's with us if we meet here. He's with us if we meet there. He's with us if we don't even meet here at all today. He is with his people, each and every one of his people, every day, all day, throughout the day, whether we are here, there, or anywhere. They're not seeing that on this day. And that's the linchpin in, in, in your life and my life. When, when you don't see that, when we don't see that today, the presence of the Lord in our lives, then the barometric indicators start revealing themselves. We go from groaning to grumbling to quarreling to protesting to demanding. A third component of that, if you would. In other words, the first one was they were equating the presence of the Lord with pleasant circumstances. They were, uh, they were equating the presence of the Lord with a certain geographical location. The Lord is bigger than both of those. He's bigger than difficult circumstances. He's bigger than a place. I think another element to it, they believed that the Lord was with them only when he did what they wanted, when they wanted it. When the Lord says, no, I don't want that for you. He hasn't left the building. He hasn't left your life. When the Lord says, no, not right now. He, he hasn't left you or abandoned you. When you're back at it from just the previous chapter in your life, once again in panic mode, and again, I'm not trying to minimize this. Water is important. Uh, but when you're, when you're one chapter away from seeing God's hand and miraculously provide water for you, the, the previous chapter, and now the next chapter of your life, you're, you're back to square one again, uh, doubting in the presence of the Lord. Is the Lord with us or not? I mean, if he was with us, I'd have water right now because this is when I want it. He is nonetheless 
with his people. What I want you to see is the incredible grace of God also in these first seven verses. Look at the instructions he gives to Moses as to how he's going to supply water, and yet, and yet this is about much more than supplying water. Yeah, they're thirsty, and a little bit of H2O is going to be really helpful, uh, and, and yet if, if, they, if, they, if they will notice what the Lord is telling Moses to do, they, they, will, they, will be, they will be on to something much huger. They will be reminded of something that has just recently occurred in their life, and that will continue, to, Lord willing, to propel them forward. Look at verse 6. Well, verse 5 of chapter 17, which is really a throwback to chapter 12 in terms of what the Lord did in the Passover. Let me, let me, let me remind you of that. You, you remember when, it, when the Passover was about to unfold, um, two terms stood out in Exodus 12 that are now spoken again here in Exodus 17. The, the words are pass and strike. Okay. Remember, remember um, in the Passover, um, the Lord was going to pass over the homes of the Israelites, not visit them with his justice or his wrath because they had placed the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their house. And so the Lord was not going to strike their house, but pass over their house. And yet when he comes to an Egyptian house, he wasn't going to pass over that house. He was going to go into that house and strike That's, that they are being reminded of what has happened for them here now in this issue of, I'm just thirsty, I just want some water. With that in mind, look at verse 5 again. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people. In other words, pass over the people. Um, uh, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. So there's our two words that's optimal in the Passover event. Uh, that you struck the Nile and go, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. So the, <laughs> these whiny, sniveling ingrates who deserve to be struck are being passed over. And a rock is being struck in their place. Now that doesn't just simply look back to what has just happened a few chapters earlier with the Passover. 
But when we get to uh, passages like Deuteronomy 32, this is, the, this is toward the end of Moses' life, he does something really interesting there. Uh, in, on four or five occasions in Deuteronomy 32, do you know who he likens unto the rock? The Lord. The Lord is a rock. Or even fast-forwarding even further, the Apostle Paul, in, in recounting these sort of issues among the people of Israel, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he likens to the rock as unto the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And I say these, those things, and I know I've just said them fast, and it takes a while to process all of this, but I, but I say that to say, do you see what's really going on here? That, that, that these people who are protesting God, these people who are grumbling against God, these people who are quarreling with God, who by all standards of justice before God should be struck, they are being passed over. And if you would, God is striking himself. What a, what a beautiful portrait. Now, that's, that's not to encourage you and I to be um, um, uh, grumbling quarrelers with God. That's not, that's not the point. Now, go home and try this real hard today, children. Uh, that, that's not the point of the message. And yet the point of the, of the first point of the message is that, do you see how God handles his people when they are uh, quarrelsome with him and they grumble against him? He substituted his own son who was struck for our quarrels, who was struck for our grumblings, who was struck for our protests against him. He laid down his life for folk like us. He absorbed that justice so that, if you would, the blessings of God in Christ Jesus now gush toward us because Christ has been struck in our place. Amen. Let me go to the next point. I'm going to make a real short, simple point, as much as I possibly know how to do so, out of the next point. But to do so, let's, let's begin reading at verse 8 and then finish the chapter here. So, then uh, Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And whenever Moses held, his, uh, his, his, held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and, and, and put it under him, and, and he sat on it. While, while Aaron and, and Hur uh, held up his hands, one on, uh, on, on one side and one on the other side. So, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek 
and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the, uh, of the memory of Amalek under, from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the, uh, the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will, will have war with Amalek uh, from generation to generation. The Lord not only provides for us in our life and in our journey, the Lord protects us in our journey. The first point was really, um, gosh, um, the Lord provided for them not just the water, but the water from the rock. Uh, and, and they had brought that up on themselves, if you would. But here in this episode, uh, Israel just hasn't brought this upon themselves. Amalek has attacked them. On the one hand, they ain't ready for war yet. Remember, that's why they are going the, right, the way they're going. Uh, and, and, um, uh, and, and yet war has come upon them. The struggle, the threat is from outside of them. I, I, don't, I don't know what external threat uh, will, will land upon you and I this year. Um, I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised, whatever it is. Um, and, uh, and we shouldn't be surprised however it falls upon us. It's okay to pray that it doesn't fall on us. Um, the Lord, protect us from any threat. And, and, and yet, sometimes the Lord keeps us from external threats, and sometimes the Lord will deliver us through those external threats. And that's what he's going to be doing here. And, and, yet, and yet I think what, these, what this last segment does, among other things, is it's a wonderful counterbalance. Whereas the real heart of the problem in the first seven verses was the people came before God demanding, give me some water! You're like, whoa. I mean, so should I not even approach God? Uh, uh, no, I, I think that this passage is wonderfully reminds us of the, the important counterbalance in the last half of this chapter is that there is a huge difference, huge difference, huge difference from demanding the, something from the Lord as we approach Him, and yet nonetheless mindful that we are ever dependent upon the Lord. Because I really think that that's what's being displayed in the symbolism of, of Moses lifted up his staff, lifted up his hands, and as long as his hands were up in the air, as long as his staff was up in the air, then uh, God was giving victory to Israel. Uh, when his arms grew tired and he began to, to his, his hands began to lower, they put some rocks underneath it and, and uh, they, they began to hold his hands up because I, I, I think with that symbolism of holding up his hands, that symbolism of holding up the staff was, was acknowledging that while Joshua and the boys were down there fighting, Moses was symbolically expressing their utter dependence upon the Lord to give them victory. 
Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I, I don't think they had horses and chariots, but you get the point. In other words, it, it wasn't the military prowess of Joshua that was going to win the day. It, it was Israel acknowledging that they were utterly dependent upon the Lord. Do you, do you see this wonderful counterbalance? Should we walk into the presence of the Lord and demand Him to do something for us? No. But does, is that to say that we shouldn't be ever mindful each and every moment of our day that you and I are completely and utterly dependent upon the Lord for everything? How will we make it through another year? Dependently upon the Lord is how we'll do it. For our provision, for our protection. And we can be confident of this. You see, when we, when we demand of the Lord, we put the Lord to test. But when we depend upon the Lord, if you would, we pass the test that the Lord puts upon us. It's a new year. So let us not demand of the Lord anything. When he chooses to humble us, let's be glad over that humbling. When he calls us to submit to the circumstances, let's gladly uh, abide by his will in all things. In all that he ordains for us this year, it will be good. may not be pleasant, but it'll be good in terms of the ultimate designs that our Father has for us. So let's depend upon the Lord and, and let's remember uh, what we read about earlier from uh, Hebrews 13. Let us draw near to the Lord with confidence to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. For our provision, for our protection, for our guidance, uh, for uh, all things, we have access to a throne of grace. Older translations say, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. That's a good word, too. That's not, that's not um, uh, being disrespectful. We're not coming brashly, arrogantly before the throne of grace. But we have a throne of grace that we can come to confidently. That our Lord in our journey this year and throughout all of our years, the Lord who never changes is the Lord who is always faithful. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you guide us. Thank you for how you watch over us. Thank you for how you are present with us. And now, Father, even as we now bring this message this morning to close, Father, may you give us the mindful presence uh, the mindfulness of your presence in our lives. Father, may you guard our hearts lest we demand of you and put you to test. But Father, may we ever realize the massive, infinite measures of grace and mercy that you have for all who depend upon you. We thank you for that. We, we pray this 